Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. I'm just going to try better, Lord. I'm just going to try better. I'm just going to keep trying better. I'm going to keep trying better. And he's like, dude, you just don't get it. You don't get it. And it's when we come to that place of glad surrender where it's like, I can't do this. I cannot do this. Where Jesus comes alongside and he says, exactly, exactly. Let me help you. Let me do this through you. It's beautiful. That's Christianity. That's what it should look like. The burdens relieved from us. The pressure to perform has has been taken away. And from the very beginning, this is what Jesus has wanted for each and every one of us. Aren't you glad that heaven doesn't have a quota system? You just can't do enough good acts to reach the pearly gates. Our relationship with Jesus isn't based on a system of acts and services. Jesus simply calls us into a relationship with him that thrives when we walk with him daily. Pastor James calls it a glad surrender to Jesus. Our surrender is a relief to our souls, and Jesus takes our burdens as his own. Today, walk with Jesus with an open hand, instead of one that's tightly gripped to the things of this world. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark, chapter 8, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. All churches should be built upon the foundation of who Jesus is and not some knucklehead who talks about Jesus. There's a big difference there. Churches built upon personality, that's a dangerous thing. You want a church that's built upon the foundational truth that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the deal. He's the cornerstone. He's the foundation. And then Jesus would go on to say, you know, the gates of Hades will not prevail against this and all that good stuff. And I alluded to that for a second there, but I do want to bring some clarification to that because a lot of people interpret that as the gates of hell. And what we think in our brain is like that Satan's in hell, which he's not in hell right now. Hope we understand that. He's not in hell right now, okay? And that he's got his army of demons and they're just at the gates of hell looking to bust out and to come storm the gates of the church and all that. That's not what it's talking about. Hades is death. Hades is death. And what he's saying there is even death can't conquer the church. In fact, death accelerates the growth of a church. Death of Stephen, first martyr. What happened? Church. The church actually went on mission. That church actually became obedient to Jesus when Stephen died. And then the church turned the world upside down. It was death. Death can't win. Death is an enemy. When Adam and Eve sinned, They didn't just bring in sin into the world. They brought sin and death into this world. Death is an enemy, but it is not an enemy that should be feared by you and I. Death doesn't win. Death does not win. Jesus has won. Jesus has won. The church will prevail. There's nothing that can stop the church. Nothing on this planet that can stop the church. No mandates, no rules, no laws, no nothing. Nothing will ever stop the church. Nothing. So stand confident. And who you are. And a church isn't a building. It's not an organization. It's a body. It's an organism, right? And I love that. Jesus just went off on Peter's right answer. You ever do that in school where like teacher asks a question and you're like, this is finally one I know. And you give the answer and you just feel like so good, right? Like, yes, I remember that. I didn't give many answers in school. For whatever reason, I remember giving only a handful of right answers. I'm like, only a handful of right answers. 
And I remember doing that in school and the teacher like, you know, acknowledging that and praising it. It just makes you feel so good. Like, yes, I do know something, right? Like maybe not much, but I know something. And I can imagine how Peter is feeling right now where he's like, Jesus is like, bingo, Peter, you got it. That's amazing. And then he expounds on that. And then in a few breaths later, you know, Peter just goes a little too far. <laughs> he's like, oh, Peter, it doesn't take long. It doesn't take long to go from a right answer to a very wrong answer, okay, for most of us. But here's what happens. They make this proclamation, all that good stuff. Verse 31 says, Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priest, the leading priest, and the teachers of religious law, and he would be killed. But, but three days later would rise again, would rise from the dead. As he talked about this openly, transparently, with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him, or the other word is rebuke him. And it's not just once. The Greek says he was repeatedly rebuking Jesus for saying such things. This is like moments later. Peter makes this great proclamation. Wow, amazing, fantastic. Jesus like, okay, good. So you know I'm the Messiah. Then you know that I came to die, that I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be rejected. I have to die. But however, the point that they all missed, I'm going to raise again from the grave three days later. Peter's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus, come here. We need to talk. I hate that. We need to talk. I hate it when that happens. I absolutely hate that because it's never good. Although sometimes it is good, but most, you know, this thing happens inside of us where you're like, oh no, what now? All right. I can imagine Peter's like, hey, Jesus, you know, like, hey, come over. He pulls Jesus aside, the Messiah that he just proclaimed as the Messiah, Christ, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And you reprimand him. It's like, dude, you got to stop talking about this stuff. Why are you telling them? Because I'm sure that's what Peter's saying right now. Not us, but them. Why are you telling them that you're going to die? What is wrong with you? Jesus, don't you get it? You're messing things up. Stop talking about dying. People don't want to hear about you dying. People don't want to listen to that. We've been gaining crowds, but you keep sending them away by saying these crazy things. The crowds were growing. The Gospel of John tells us that after Jesus had fed the 5,000, the crowds were growing, John chapter 6, and they're pressing in, and they want to make him king. And Jesus says, hey, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. And a majority of the group left him on that day. John 6, verse 66. That's how I remember that. John 6, 6, 6. Most people from the crowds left him. Like if Jesus was a politician, his you know, campaign manager would be like, dude, you were blowing it. We have the crowds. Like, stop telling them this stuff. She's like, I'm telling them the truth. I'm not a politician. I'm not a politician. I'm not a celebrity. I'm not here to gain, quote unquote, those kind of followers. I'm here to die. I'm here to transform lives. Will the followers come? Yeah, but the right kind of followers. Not ones who are showing up for the freebies. Not the ones who are showing up to see what they can get from me. I came to die. That's why I'm here. And Peter pulls them aside and rebukes them. And we understand why Peter does that, because Jesus gives us this great insight as he says this really crazy thing about Peter. 
Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples as like Peter pulls him off to the side so you can see the disciples are behind them. Jesus hears that, he receives that, turns to his disciples, the other disciples, and he reprimanded or he rebukes Peter. He says, hey, get behind me, Satan. Yeah. <laughs> Peter's like, whoa, hold on. hold on. Like, no, I just, I'm like the head of the class, man. I just got the right answer. I go from like, the Father has revealed this to you, to now I'm like the total opposite. Like, now I'm like Satan. Like, what is happening? Welcome to sometimes the Christian life, right? You're just like, some days you're just killing it. You're just killing it. And then other days, you're just completely selfish. And your worldview has switched from a gospel worldview to a self-centric, a me-only kind of worldview, a self-preserving worldview. And it can change on a dime, if we're honest, if we're honest. What I love about that is like, Jesus didn't kick him out of the club. He's like, clearly, Peter, I don't want you around, right? Like, um, you need to leave, right? He doesn't do that at all. In fact, he uses Peter in a tremendous way. He was never done with Peter, even though Peter would say the most selfish thing ever. Peter, I have to die because if I don't die, you don't live. If I don't die, nobody lives. Peter, you're only thinking about yourself. You're only thinking about yourself. There's a tremendous danger in that. He says, get behind me, Satan, or you can go King James with that. Get behind the Satan. I don't even know anymore. Um, Get away from me with that false worldview. Like, get away from me. That's, That's of the enemy. That's not of the Father. That's of the enemy. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Again, I just love that. Just a moment before, he got great insight from God, and then he hears what Jesus is saying, and he's like, it triggers that selfishness in him. And he's like, no, 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 you can't die. You can't die. Jesus says, I'm sorry, buddy, but you're seeing this world from your own perspective. You don't have a heavenly worldview. You have a humanistic worldview. In order for you to live, someone must die. In order for your sins to be covered, someone had to die. And I praise God that Jesus was willing to step in our place for that. So he gives them this, I think it's somewhat of a gentle rebuke. I think it is. I mean, we don't, it's hard to tell from the tense and all that good stuff, but I think Jesus is, he's gracious, he's compassionate, but he is also willing to correct when someone needs to be corrected. And that's a good thing. And that is something that we should embrace today. Nobody likes being corrected today. I certainly don't like being corrected today. I know I don't get it right all the time, but man, my pride, oh, when somebody wants to correct me, I'm just like, oh, no, I don't want to hear it. We could use a little bit more of that today. Just a little humility. We don't have all the right answers. We don't always say the right thing. We just need to own it more. And sometimes our worldview is skewed a little bit, and we got to correct. I think that's what Christianity is. It's a process of sanctification. It's a long journey over a course of time. And it's just, it, it's correcting or it's pivoting, you know, and it's just making those adjustments of like, no, yeah, I, no, I was wrong there, Lord. I'm sorry. And help me to see it how you want me to see it. And just keep moving. Just keep moving. Verse 34, it says, um, then he calls the crowd to join his disciples. Now he brings everybody in. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel or the good news, which is what it is, you will save it. You will save it. So within the context here, Who do people say I am? 
John the Baptist, one of the prophets, maybe Elijah. Okay, cool. Um, Who do you say I am? You're the Messiah. All right, sweet. So here's the thing. I got to go die. We don't want you to die. Well, no, I have to die, okay? And, you know, that selfishness that you have, Jesus already dealt with that with Satan. Remember when he was tempted for 40 days and Satan kept trying to, like, convince Jesus not to die, basically? If you read back through that story, he's presenting him everything. I'll give you the kingdoms of this world. I'll do all this stuff. What's he trying to do? He's trying to keep Jesus from going to the cross. What's Peter trying to do? Keep Jesus from going to the cross. He says, no, 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 that's not how this works. And in fact, if you want to be my disciple, he's addressing the crowd. If you want to be my disciple, you got to take up your cross and follow me. You got to take up your cross and follow me. And that's a hard lesson. That's a hard thing, if we're honest. And I think sometimes we label things as crosses that aren't technically crosses. They may be like, you know, unfortunate things that we have to bear throughout this life and all that stuff. But what Jesus is addressing here is it's not just self-denial, because self-denial is basically this. Stop doing that and start doing this. And we can easily get into a performance-based mentality when we look at it like that. It can become very moralistic in one sense of like, okay, so to follow Jesus, I have to stop doing this and start doing this. And that may be true, but oftentimes we, we mess that up. And it becomes all about like, okay, doing this. I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to, oh, and then, oh no, I went back to that. I did that. So now I've just messed up the whole thing. And either Jesus doesn't love me anymore, or I got to, you know, it's just this weird thing that happens inside of us. I think what Jesus is addressing is denial of self, not just self-denial, but a total denial of self. And that's why I have my big commentary up here, because I wanted to read to you guys from John Corson. He's a pastor in Applegate uh, up there in Oregon, right? Oregon. But I've been reading John Corson, and I've actually had the privilege of listening to John Corson and the Bible College and all that good stuff, and a tremendous man of God. And I wanted to read to you guys this, what he, what he comments concerning self-denial and denial of self, okay? He says this denial of self means coming to a place where we say, I can't make it. I can't make it. And so picture in your head, Jesus already been sentenced to death and now has to bear his own cross through Jerusalem, going to the place of Golgotha, that means skull. But we call it Calvary, Calvary, right? That hillside. It's no coincidence that we're Calvary Galveston. Or yes, we are affiliated with Calvary chapels, but that's more of a side thing, right? We're Calvary because everything changed at Calvary. Hope bloomed and blossomed at Calvary. Transformation happened at Calvary. Like everything changed on that hillside outside the city limits of Jerusalem. That's why we're Calvary Galveston. Make no mistake of it. I love Calvary chapels. We're a part of that group and all that stuff. But we're Calvary Galveston because that's where he died for my sins. That's where hope just exploded onto this planet. So as he's taking that cross, what happens? He, through the city, it's too much for him to bear, and he collapses. And God had just already had appointed Simon to be there to help bear his cross. Now, I know it was a Roman soldier who appointed Simon to do that, but God had placed Simon there on that day in that spot to what? To shoulder that cross, to help Jesus bear that cross. So John's using that imagery here to say this thing of Denial of self, what Jesus is talking about here, taking up your cross means we get to this place where we say, I can't do this. I can't do this. 
He says, the loneliness I'm feeling, the misunderstanding hurled in my direction, the pain of separation, the tension I'm experiencing is more than I can bear. It is my love for Jesus that drives me to my knees, but it's the cross I bear that brings me to my face. No matter how smart, clever, or capable I think I might be, the burdens, anxieties, worries, and fears I bear show me I'm not any of those things. The temptation, however, is for us to stand up and keep going. But that's not denying ourselves. That's glorifying ourselves and our ability to keep pressing on. He says, it's when we say, Lord, I want to follow you, but I can't, that we're denying an ability in our own selves to bring this to pass. When Jesus collapsed under the weight of the cross he carried, there was someone there for him. The Father had already orchestrated that Simon be there. We don't have a Simon. We have someone infinitely better. We have a Savior. Two are better than one, Solomon writes, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. That's Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10. Our other is Christ Jesus. If you want to have life, real life, abundant life, eternal life, the way it was meant to be lived, deny yourself as you take up your cross and follow Jesus. And when the cross brings you, as it did our Savior, to your face, you will see standing next to you, standing available to you, standing ready to help you, Jesus Christ himself. That's denial of self. And that's what a lot of Christians are missing out on today, because we go into the self-denial mode. If I can just perform, if I can just perform, I stop doing the bad stuff, I start doing the good stuff then what happens? We get exhausted. We get frustrated. Why? Because you're relying on your own strength to perform. That's not denial of self. That's a performance-based Christianity thing. That's a trap we all step into at times. What he's saying here is you come to the place where you realize you can't do it on your own. You want to be my follower. What you need to understand is there's going to be suffering along the journey. You will fall to your face, but I'm right there to help you. You need to rely on me. You need to rely on me to get you to the finish line. That's a denial of self. And I can say with all honesty, that's hard for this prideful man. It's really hard because I just, I got to figure it out. I got to figure it out. And like, Lord, I just, Lord, I'm sorry to burden you. He's like, no, no, no. You're supposed to take on my burden. Lord, I'm sorry to trouble you. I'm sorry to bother you with all my issues. I'm just going to try better, Lord. I'm just going to try better. I'm just going to keep trying better. I'm going to keep trying better. And he's like, dude, you just don't get it. You don't get it. And it's when we come to that place of glad surrender where it's like, I can't do this. I cannot do this. Where Jesus comes alongside and he says, exactly, exactly. Let me help you. Let me do this through you. It's beautiful. That's Christianity. That's what it should look like. The burden's relieved from us. The pressure to perform has been taken away. And from the very beginning, this is what Jesus has wanted for each and every one of us. It's just to realize, to come to the conclusion of like, Lord, I want to be your follower, but I'm going to tell you this right now, what you already know, I can't do it. He's like, yeah, but that's exactly where I want you to be. That's where I wanted you to be. So why don't you take on my yoke, which is easy, which is light, and let's do this together. It's a brilliant thing. It's a beautiful thing. And I love that. Jesus just throws this out there like, you want to follow me? This is what it means. This is what it means. Again, then that highlights that answer that Peter gave where he's like, stop talking about dying. Jesus says, Peter, you don't get it, dude. You don't get it. I came to die so that you could live. What benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? 
Like, what, what is it profit for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? We see this happen time and time again. I mean, you even hear stories of like musicians and artists saying like, I sold my soul to the devil. And they're experiencing success and stuff as a result of that. They're gaining the world, but at what cost? Enjoy it while it lasts. Because this side of heaven, and for those who want to sell their souls, you know, for this or that, this is as close to heaven as you'll ever get. But for the believer who's willing to die, this is as close to hell as you'll ever get. It's amazing. What does it benefit you to gain the whole world, but to lose your own soul? Your soul is so valuable. It's so valuable. You hold on to it. You cherish that thing. Surrender it to Jesus, where it's kept safe, right? Like, give it to Jesus. He says, is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, I think we live there, right? Yeah, we do. The Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Well, that's a good warning. Um, like, and I love that. Romans 1.16, right? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I would love that proclamation from Paul. I'm not ashamed of the, which means I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. It's the very thing that saved my soul. I'm not going to be ashamed of him. I will not deny him. I will not be a Christian who hides out in this world. I will not be a secret saint. I'm not going to be an undercover disciple. No, I'm going to live my life reflecting Jesus, reflecting Jesus. And I'm going to ask people, what do you think about Jesus? And I'm going to be ready to tell them what I believe about Jesus. I'm going to be ready to give an answer for the faith that I have in him, right? That's what we ought to be doing. Jesus is not ashamed of you. Do not be ashamed of Jesus. He is coming back. He is coming back. I love this little, just this little conversation from Jesus is like, I am the Messiah. And I am going to die, but I'm going to raise three days later. And oh yeah, guess what? I'm coming back. I'm coming back. So you want to follow me? Then follow me. Go all in, all in, realizing that you can't do it in your own strength. You'll never be able to do it in your own strength. You'll just get frustrated and all. just die. Die to yourself. The other last little element of that is we die to ourselves so that we can live for others. Live for other people. Not like live your life based on how they want you to live your life or anything like that, but serve. You will never regret at the end of your life. You'll never say this. You'll never be like, man, I wish I didn't serve so many people. I wish I didn't help so many people. Like, you know, people don't say that and their death. What people say is like, man, I wish I would have just loved more. I wish I would have served more. Like that doesn't have to be true for us. Like serve people, put people first. What's the acronym? Joy, Jesus, others, yourself, Jesus, others, yourself. And I'm going to tell you a little secret. You live your life that way, placing Jesus as top priority within your life, and you are serving other people. There's a weird thing happening in the church where it says like, well, no, then you're not making time for yourself and all that. That's not true. That's not true. You will find fulfillment. You will actually find supernatural rest in moments when you live for Jesus and you serve other people and you place yourself last. Don't believe the lie. If you're getting, if you're getting burned out and all that stuff, well, then... You need to reconnect with Jesus because there's a problem in the chain there. Jesus first, serve other people. Then, yeah, take care of yourself. Absolutely take care of yourself. But don't mix up the order, okay? So follow Jesus. Follow Jesus in his strength, not your own. Today's a good day for a glad surrender. Even if you've been a follower of Christ for so many years, but you've been doing it out of your own strength, today's a really good day to surrender. 
Thanks for joining us today here on Bread for the Broken. You've been listening to Pastor James Grizzle as he teaches through the book of Mark, one of the accounts of Jesus' time here on earth. Though it's short, this book is powerful as it's filled with encounters that Jesus had with people, everyday people just like you and me. And the book of Mark reminds us that Jesus came to serve. He humbly did what needed to be done, even if it wasn't glamorous. Jesus healed the people who were sick. He spent time with the lonely and the rejected. He loved the unloved unconditionally. And then he proved his love by the ultimate act of service. He gave up his life for all of us. He took the place of every person on the earth, and then those to come, because we all deserve death. Our sins make us unacceptable to God, and we're unable to do anything to fix it. That's why we need Jesus. Today, if you haven't allowed Jesus to be your Savior, please consider it again. If you have questions or would you like to talk more with someone, then please take a moment and go to breadforthebroken.com and click on Contact. Just fill out the form and we'll be in touch with you. You can also come visit us if you're in the Galveston area. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston, and we meet every Sunday and Thursday. So find out more at breadforthebroken.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Next time, Pastor James will pick up where he left off in the book of Mark. So make a note of where we are and make plans to join us next time, here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you, babe.